Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to be home with you today. I'll tell you what, I needed to raise a hallelujah today. I just needed that, man. What a great time of worship. Thanks so much to our, our worship team for leading us in it. And, and man, uh, I, I've been out for a couple weeks, so if it's your third time at the Gathering Church, it's your first time seeing me, welcome. Man, I'm just honored to, to be here with you this morning. We, we had, the Red Wines have had a lot going on in this season. Uh, we, we said yes to a lot of things, and now they're all here. And, 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 it, and it's sometimes you think in retrospect, a no would have been good, don't you think? But we, we were out, had the privilege last Sunday of being out in California, uh, got to preach at my home church out there with my pastor, Andy Wood, and got to spend a lot of time with him, and it, it refreshed my spirit to, to be, everybody needs to be pastored, and uh, it refreshed my spirit to be around one of my leaders and mentors, and so uh, it was good, but man, we are glad to be home. Yesterday, we moved out of our house in West Asheville, and we're moving into a house down in this, a little bit closer to this area, and, uh, and so, man, we, we, are, we are tired, we are sore, we, we don't want to go anywhere else ever again. Uh, and uh, but but it's good to be here worshiping with you this morning. I'm going to be next weekend. I'll be out one more time, and then Rob Robbie will be preaching. And then when I come back, I may never let Robbie preach again because I fear for my job security. But man, we're so grateful to Robbie. He, he's been such a blessing to me in this season. He's helped me out so much with all the stuff that's been going on. And he is such a gifted and anointed communicator. And so we've been honored to have him bring God's word to us over these last couple weeks. Well, let me get into it this morning. I got one announcement before I get into it. And I need to tell you about this. a big deal. Life groups are starting this week. It is, it is, it is here. The wait is over. If you've been on the edge of your seat waiting for life groups, to start, they are starting. And so it is our summer life groups. It's the best time to get involved in a life group. If you've never been in one of our life groups, you have missed out. I believe it is the best thing that the Gathering Church has to offer. That that is where we find freedom. That is where the relationships that we need are made. And so if you aren't signed up, it's not too late. They start this week and you can go sign up online at gatherashville.org today. Find one that's near you and get engaged and go to it. You won't regret it. You'll have a great time. And so we are so excited for that happening. Well, today we, we are revisiting one of our favorite teaching series. Uh, if, uh, if you're newer to our church, then this will be new to you and that's fantastic. But if you're not, if you've been around for a while, every year around this time, we like to do this series where we look at the brewing process and we try to understand potential. It, it, we believe that this series is an important one for us in our city, but also because we are constantly on this pathway that God is walking with us down, that we might know Him, that we might find freedom, discover our purpose so we can make a difference. And I believe that our purpose is one of those things that it can take us some time to really understand it. And so in this series, our goal is to take uh, the next three weeks and look at a story that I think is the very best 
story in the Bible of somebody walking from, from youth and, and, and really just a, a lot of unused potential uh, into the purpose that God created them for. And as we watch this journey, my goal is that we would begin to understand more about the potential God's placed in each and every one of us so that we can move closer to the purpose that he's prepared for us. I believe you were created for a purpose, that every single one of us before we are born has a purpose developed for us, that God puts your gifts and your dreams and your passions and all of this potential inside of you with a goal in mind. He can see the end result and it is good. And so uh, we, we just want to learn more and more about the purpose that he's called us to. And so we're going to take a few weeks to, as we do that, Look at the beer making process. I think the beer making process is a great example for the way we develop potential. Potential. Everybody's got potential. And potential is one of the greatest unused commodities in the world. So many of us have this great potential inside, but it never gets to where it needs to be. Oftentimes, brewers, when they're making beer, they deal with the same four ingredients, but they dream up new ways to make different outcomes out of those ingredients. They can look at the hops, water, barley, and yeast, and out of those four ingredients, they can see the potential for so many good things. In the same way, God is like our master brewer. He looks at the ingredients that he's placed inside of us and he sees the potential for great outcomes. So today I'm going to take a look at the first step in the brewing process. And we'll start this story of a young man named Joseph. And let's see what we can learn from it. In the beginning, the barley is malted or roasted and then it must be milled. Barley is the base ingredient of beer. It is a grain, and the grain has to be crushed. But not just simply milled or crushed. This crucially important step can either make or break a beer before it has ever begun. The key is to crush the grains enough so that it exposes the starchy center of the barley seed, but does not damage the grain holes that encase them, the husk around it. If the crush is too coarse, not enough starch will remain from the grain inside to be fermented into sugar. If the crush is too fine, the husks, which become a filter bed for the brew, are destroyed, and what you're left with is gummy and unusable. So before we can begin to make beer, the base ingredient, the barley, has to be properly crushed. We make it possible to extract potential from the grain by first crushing the grain. By breaking it, by opening it, by milling it. Not too much that there's nothing left, but just enough that now the grain is open and receptive to what the brewer is going to do next. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the milling process. I would ask you this morning, if you've ever been or are in right now, the milling process. I want to take a look at the story of this young man, Joseph. 
If you grew up in Sunday school, you've grown up with this story. But if you're new to church, this is a good one. You're going to, you don't want to miss a week. You want to lean in because God's Word is so good and there is so much in it. But this is one of my absolute favorite start-to-finish narratives that we could find in the Scriptures. Joseph lived about 4,000 years ago in a culture that is honestly very alien to us. But whenever you look at a culture that is so old, what helps me when I'm studying those those stories is to remember that even though the world was different then, people have always been the same. That our humanity is, has never changed. Isn't we think we've grown and we've evolved and all of that, but the, the reality is the things that we feel and want and experience today are the same things that they did even 4,000 years ago. I'll tell you what I mean. Joseph was in your average, normal, typical family. He had four, uh, his father had four wives, so there were four moms uh, and about 12 sons, exactly 12 sons, and then uh, an unknown amount of daughters, at least one daughter. They didn't record it back then, which is very rude in retrospect. And so Joseph came from this great big family. His father had prominence and wealth. He lived in a region where it was mostly farming and they had a lot of flocks and herds and they had more than others that were around them and they were blessed. But Joseph was favored above the rest of them. You see, Joseph was a son of his father's favorite wife. And so Joseph got more favor than his other brothers did. His father would constantly tell them that Joseph was his favorite. He made clothes for him that he would cover him in. He made a, a if you've ever uh, been in Sunday school, there's a good chance at some point you wore a coat of many colors as you learned about Joseph and the coat of many colors. He was given an ornate robe to signify his favor among his family and his brothers hated him for it. They resented him to their core. If you came from a family with siblings, maybe there is one in your family who is favored among the rest. And it was easy to tell growing up. Your chores were things like taking out the trash. You had to cut the grass, pull the weeds. You had to do laundry. And then there was one sibling whose chores were to wipe the countertops. And everybody knows that's not really a chore, wiping the cat. It's this, just, and you do it, as, when you're a kid, you do it as slowly as possible to make sure everybody else has finished their chores so you don't get tasked with anything else. And if you're the weed pulling uh, son or daughter, then you're looking at the counter wiper with a little bit of resentment, am I right? There's a little something in you that thinks that's not quite right, but... It was nothing like the resentment that Joseph's brothers had for him. What they felt was deeper. They hated him. They hated his presence. When he came, things inside them tensed up. They didn't like being around him. They didn't like the favor he represented. And they were ready to do something about it. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37, uh, verse 17. It says... Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. They were tending the flocks and had gone off quite a ways, maybe a half a day's walk from where the family lived. It said he found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They weren't very pleased with Joseph. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now. Oh, I, I, this is an important part of the story. So Joseph, to make everything worse, 
Here's what turned his brothers, really kind of pushed them over the edge. Joseph had been having these dreams. See, throughout the Bible, and, and God, God uses dreams to give people vision about the future he has for them. He puts a dream in their hearts. And a lot of times it shows up in a physical dream. Joseph was having these real dreams where in these dreams, figures of different kinds, 11 of them were coming around him and bowing before him. In one dream, there was 13 or, or, or more to represent the parents as well. And Joseph understood that this was God telling him, hey, one day I'm going to give you prominence and authority, and people are going to bow down before you. And Joseph felt pretty good about that. Joseph, as a young teenage man, he, 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 he had heard from God that one day the people that he cared about would be bowing down before him. And I, I don't know, maybe his right reaction would have been to put that inside his heart and think, okay, what I need to do now is develop my character and work on my leadership ability and grow my wisdom. But instead, what Joseph as a teenage boy does is go and find his brothers and say, well, guess what I just dreamed last night? One day, all of y'all are going to bow down in front of me. It's going to be great. I can't wait. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Joseph's brothers. That's why when they see him coming across the desert, they say, here comes that dreamer. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Judah is the compassionate one here. He says, listen, we can't kill our own brother. No, it'd be much better if we sell him into slavery, and that way we'll get a little bit of money out of it. The other brother's like, yeah, that's actually, that makes a lot of sense, Judah. Thanks. Judah, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the well and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. In verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, and the captain of the guard. Now, this is an ancient story. It's like one of those things where you're watching a movie, and, and it's a great adventure movie, but it doesn't really relate to your life. Odds are you've never asserted your authority over your siblings so much that they decided to sell you into slavery. They may have thought about it a time or two. They may, they may have seen if the market was, was good, but, but they, probably something like that hasn't happened. And it could be hard to understand, but I think maybe you know what Joseph was experiencing on this day. Maybe you've had a day that is more like that than you realize. Maybe you know what it feels like to have your life mapped out, to have a dream for the, for the future, 
to see where you want it to go, to see what the outcome should be, could be, and you believe will be. Maybe you know what it's like to be moving in a direction that you love, and all of a sudden the road is gone, and now you're going somewhere that you never, ever, ever expected. Maybe you know what it's like to have in just a moment, in one conversation, everything change forever. That's what Joseph was experiencing. He was a son of a wealthy family. He had favor. God had told him he would have authority one day. He could see his life out in front of him, and it was good. He was excited about it. He was, he, he, he was honestly just joyful all the time about the way his life was unfolding. And then, in a moment, in one minute, just going to find his brothers, and just a moment later, it is over. Every dream is gone. Every, every vision he had for his life, every, everything he had pictured and imagined is just destroyed in front of him. And now he is bound and walking with people of a different tribe into a foreign land where he's sold to an officer for a foreign king who speaks a foreign language that Jake Joseph has never spoken before. And he's just wondering, how did this happen? And what happens next? Maybe you've been in a season like that. Maybe you, you had it mapped out. You, you, you could see your life and you were excited for it. It was going to be good. And then in just a moment, it changed and it shifted. And now you don't know what's next. And you don't know, you don't know what's now. You don't know if it'll ever be good again. You can't see how the outcome could be okay. And all you can see right now is the pain. God doesn't always make sense. Our stories are often littered with pain without any clear understanding of why at the time. But I believe pain is a part of the process. Here's a few of the ways that I think we're milled. I think we're milled through seasons of hardship. Life moves in seasons, and sometimes the season that you're in is unbearably hard. It can be hard to believe that. You know, I think as we step back, you know, we look at somebody else's life, you say, oh, yes, life moves in seasons. Everything moves in seasons. That's all well and good. But when you hit one of these difficult seasons, it feels like it's all that there ever will be. Like this is it. Like your seasons have stopped. The earth doesn't spin anymore. You're going to be here for the rest of your life. But the reality is, it moves in seasons. Maybe you're in a season of illness for you or a family member, and right now it seems hopeless and hard. Maybe you're in a season of loss. Loss comes in so many different forms, but it feels the same in your heart. Maybe, maybe you've lost a loved one, and you never actually imagined your life without them. You, you weren't prepared for what came next. Maybe you've lost a relationship that you thought would always be there. And now you just don't, you don't know what normal is. You don't know what tomorrow looks like, let alone planning out any kind of a future. Maybe you've been in a loss of a job and, and you thought that was your career and you could see the path forward and you could see where you wanted it to go, but, but now all of that's changed and you're trying to figure out what, what, what to do next. Maybe it's a season of loss. Maybe it's a season of financial hardship. Every month 
the bills keep coming, but there's just not enough money to pay them. Maybe there's a, a future expense that you could see and you're just, you're not sure what you're going to do when you get to it. Maybe you're in a season right now of paying for your mistakes. You got caught in that sin that you thought you could hide forever. And the things you kept in darkness have now been dragged into the light. And you're wrapped up in the consequences and it feels like it's never going to get any better. These seasons of hardship dominate our perspective. They become the only thing that we can see or imagine. They keep us awake at night. They give us anxiety during the day. Maybe it's been months you've been out of your routine going through this and, and you're still, still trying to understand the fact that the normal you had will never be your normal again. Maybe you're in a season of personal disappointment. I think our seasons of personal disappointment are one of the ways that we're milled. Maybe life just isn't where you thought it would be. Things didn't work out the way you thought they would. You put all your eggs in one basket and then the bottom fell out. Maybe you just don't feel like you're ever going to meet Mr. or Mrs. Right. Or it just doesn't ever feel like your spouse is going to become Mr. or Mrs. Right. Maybe you thought you'd be further on in your career by now. You thought you'd have things more figured out by now. You thought, you thought you'd, all of it would have come together by now. And, and now it, it hasn't. And you're not really sure what to do next. I know that's what Joseph felt when those Ishmaelites began to walk away from his brother's he had all these dreams and expectations for his life, and he saw where he was meant to be, pictured it, but now here he is, hands bound, being led into this foreign land where the strangers who are leading him are going to sell him to the highest bidder. So how are any of his dreams supposed to come true now? This isn't the future that he wanted. How is he ever going to get the position of authority God promised him when he is now a slave? in the possession of another person. It's hard to have your life redirected. Nothing is harder to have your life go down a road you never thought it would go down. It takes on all kinds of different forms, but I believe all of us will go through seasons of milling. That if you haven't yet, get ready. And maybe you can look back on your life and you can see more than one season after season where things just just seemed so difficult. Maybe it feels like you are being broken. Like you are just being snapped. It makes, makes you feel like God is cruel. Like if he is real, why would this happen? And then if he's not real, what's the point? I need you to hear me say that his, his heart for you is not for you to experience the pain of this season. There's a story in John where Jesus raises one of his friends back to life after he's dead. His name is Lazarus. And Jesus knows all along that that's what he's going to do. And he gets to this village where his, fam his, his people, his friends that he really cares about are mourning the death of Lazarus. And he's with the sisters of Lazarus who are angry and who, are, who can't see a better tomorrow who are mourning the death of Lazarus. And Jesus goes up to the tomb, and there's this wonderful verse. It just says, Jesus wept. And when I think about that, it reminds me that Jesus knew the outcome. He knew that Lazarus was going to walk out of that grave in just a few moments. I don't believe he was weeping for Lazarus. See, I believe that when we hurt, he hurts. I believe that when we experience pain, he feels it for us. 
And I want you to hear me say that today because I need you to know that God is not cruel. He is good. And that these seasons of pain that we go through are a result of the broken world that we live in. And while God's heart is never for us to have to go through those seasons, he will use those seasons to change us. He will use those seasons to shape us. See, I believe you are not being broken right now. You are being shaped. The sculptor looks at a block of marble and they see the beautiful design inside. But in order to get to it, something is going to have to be stripped away. And in the Bible, they use this illustration over and over again of refining metals. Refining metals is an interesting process. You melt the metals. And to purify gold or silver, you use fire and it melts away all of the metals that are creating impurities inside of that metal. And you're left with something that is pure and that is beautiful. This is the illustration God uses to talk to us about the hard seasons we go through. Isaiah 48.10, he says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. These difficult seasons that we go through, God can use to strip away and remove the things inside of us that are keeping us from our purpose if we let him. We have got to lean into these seasons a little bit more than we want to because growth through pain is a part of nature. We can see it. We, when, when, when babies are born, they come into the world through a great amount of pain. When you spend a lot of time in the gym working out, I know this one. When you, when you spend a lot of, this is me, when you spend a lot of time working out, the following days are noted by soreness and pain as your muscles grow, I assume. It, 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 our children, as they grow their teeth, their teeth grow through a process of intense and significant pain, often pain is a part of the process, even in nature. And the process determines the outcome. How we handle this season, how we accept this pain, and what we learn through it will determine whether or not we reach our potential. I was in the United States Coast Guard for a number of years, and when I joined the Coast Guard, I was, honestly, I was a mess. I wasn't a very fun person to be around. I was a punk. And uh, I, I've always kind of had this gift of influence. I could influence my friends and the people around me to do the plans that I had. And uh, I used those powers for a lot of evil in my earlier days. And uh, a great story of that is I was, uh, I was in one of the big trainings in order to enter into my specific job in the Coast Guard. It was this long school where I would go and they would teach me how to be a gunner's mate, how to care for all the guns in the Coast Guard, and I became, you know, learned how to teach people at the range and all that kind of thing. That was my job in the Coast Guard. And, and I kind of had my life mapped out at this point. I had figured it out. I knew what I was going to do to best serve me and give me the future I always wanted. See, I, I was going to go serve. After that, I was going to select a big ship, and I had chosen the one. It was going to be the Coast Guard Cutter Jarvis in Honolulu, Hawaii, because sometimes you got to serve your country. You know what I mean? 
Sometimes you got to be brave enough to make the sacrifices that your country requires of you. Somebody had to go to Honolulu, and I volunteered as tribute. And the ship that I was going to also didn't have any engines in it. It was about 18 months away from being seaworthy again. I knew that. So I was going to go to Hawaii. I was going to surf. I was going to hike. I was going to sit on the beach for 18 months. And then I was going to go out on this ship for a little while. And after that, because I had served outside the continental United States on the largest ship in the Coast Guard, I would get top priority on where I go next. I was going to choose Charleston, the place of my birth, where I would spend out the rest of my time in the Coast Guard riding on a little orange boat and telling people, you don't have enough life jackets, you better go get some more. That was my plan, and it was a good plan. I had developed the perfect scheme for my life. The only thing that got in the way of it was me. I was my biggest enemy in this season. Because I was a punk. And in the military, you're supposed to do what they tell you to do when they tell you to do it. And that's never been one of my strengths. And so I was always, always mouthing off to my authority figures. I was always ignoring orders. I was always seeing how I could skirt the rules, how I could get by on as little as possible. I was not doing what they expected of me. I was not being who they expected me to be. And I was influencing the people around me to live in the same way. So I had a chief who had his, set on his heart his mission to get rid of me. Now he had tried a few times. I'd gone to a, what they call a mast, which is a disciplinary proceeding a couple times before. But the master chief, the one over him, said he's not going to get kicked out unless he breaks one of our specific rules. And so the chief just waited. It was only a matter of time. And the last week of training. I was four days from graduating as the honor graduate. It was my birthday, my 20th birthday, and I was standing out there doing some of my final training on the range, and the chief came and grabbed me, pulled me into his office, made me stand in a position of attention, and he had finally done it. See, you're not allowed to eat in your barracks rooms. It's just one of the rules. Everybody broke it, but I got caught. They found some Trisket crackers there next to my bed, and he sat there just yelling at me and said, Red wine, what was going through your mind when you were eating Trisket crackers in your barracks room? And I, and I looked him right in the eyes and I said, Chief, I was thinking, mmm, these are some delicious Trisket crackers. <laughs> Chief, I respectfully request to know, did you also find the cheese whiz? Please keep them together. His brain exploded at that moment. We left from that room and we walked directly into the captain's office where the captain rolled out the green carpet of discipline. He put his sword on the table. That's one of the things they do. I think it's an intimidation tactic, but I didn't want to run the risk. I kept my mouth shut at this point. And then they kicked me out of training. They canceled my orders to Honolulu. They took away my top priority for the next billet. They took away the job that I had just trained for. They sent me all the way back to the beginning for the next four weeks. I woke up every morning, put on an orange vest, and picked up trash around the base. And then uh, after that, I started training over again in week one. I didn't get stationed in Hawaii. I got stationed in Florida, which is a poor man's Hawaii. And then I, uh, no offense, Floridians, I love it too, but let's be real. And then after that, I, I didn't have enough priority to get stationed in Charleston. Never got stationed. Never, never went back to Charleston again. And I remember in that season when I was picking up trash every morning before the sunrise, walking around with so much anger and rage and sadness inside of me because the entire future that I had planned was gone. 
And I knew exactly who to blame for it. And I remember feeling like, what, what am I supposed to do next? What, am, what does this mean for me? How could this happen? How does this ever get good again? How will I ever, what, there's no way that it's going to go the way that I planned. I joined the Coast Guard to follow this path. I made a six-year decision and I just threw it away. And now what do I do next? What's going to happen to me? How do I come out of this? Okay, how is tomorrow going to be good? How am I ever going to enjoy any of this? And you just spiral, don't you? And I remember waking up every single morning with those same questions. And it led me into a season of, of depression, anxiety. I, I, I was not finished learning my lesson at that point. I had more judicial proceedings after that. Here's what I know. Before all of that took place, I was arrogant. I had a problem with leadership. I couldn't accept any and I couldn't respect any. I had a lot of things in me that were standing in between me and the dream God had for me. See, I had no idea at the time, but God saw in me somebody who was going to enter into full-time ministry a long time ago. God said, I'm going to make a pastor out of this one, but it's going to take some work. And there was a lot of stuff inside of me that needed to die. And over the course of those seasons, piece by piece, it began to be stripped away. I don't know what Joseph's was. If I had to guess, I'd say pride. Maybe he had a little bit of pride inside of him from the way his father had treated him, from the way that he had had favor among his brothers. But over time, God was going to strip away that pride and he was going to replace it with humility, with servanthood, with real the necessary ingredients for real leadership. That's what he did in me. And I believe in your season of crushing, in your season of milling, that God can strip things away from you as well that will push you closer and closer to the dreams that he has for you. So if you're in your season of pain, I would encourage you, don't rush out of it without asking God what he can teach you through it. If you're in the milling, here's a few things to keep in mind as you go through it. First is take inventory. Step back and take inventory. What is getting in the way of your potential and how can your season of crushing, milling, and pain help break that away? What in you can be stripped away by this process to reveal something better on the other side? Maybe you feel like you've got this potential to start a business or to make your dreams into a reality and, and you, you've got this dream, this idea, but instead of the, the capital that you need to get it off the ground, you're completely broke. So broke, it hurts broke. And you don't know why this is happening right now and why you can't get to where you want to be, but maybe through this season, you could learn stewardship with what you have so that when you get to the season that comes after, you'll be better prepared. Maybe you struggle with pride or dishonesty, or you have things that you do in secret that are damaging your character from the inside out. Maybe one of those things came to light, and maybe it hurts, but it's teaching you to value integrity. It's teaching you that if you don't have your character, you don't have anything. Maybe it's teaching you how to live a new life that is a life lived in the light instead of a life lived in between. I don't know what you have in you that needs to get stripped away, but I would encourage you if you are in your season of pain or you've just come through it or you're about to walk into it, take inventory. 
ask, what in me needs to get stripped through this season? There's a great psalm. Whenever I'm going through one of these seasons, and honestly, it it feels like they're on a cycle sometimes. They just keep coming back. And this is one of my favorite psalms to to lean into. It's Psalm 84. It's the psalm that says, Better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. And there's so much good in it, but there's a a verse that I want to share with you this morning. It says, Blessed, this is Psalm 84, verse 5 and 6. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, and the autumn rains also cover it with pools. David is is trying to to praise God and talk about how important it is to live your life under his praise and He says, blessed are the people who put their strength in God and who put their hearts on the things of God. In other words, blessed are the people who can see the purpose that God has for them, set their hearts on it, and go after it with reckless abandon. And he talks about the valley of Baca. Baca is a Hebrew word that means weeping. He says the valley of weeping. It's a real, literal, physical place. It was in between many of the people of God and Jerusalem where they would go a few times a year to worship at the temple. And there was this this stigma around walking through the valley of weeping. It was a desert area. There was no oasis, no shade, no trees. It's in between mountains that are too tall to go over, so you have to pass through it. And there's nothing there but death and fear. And when you're in it, it feels like you'll always be in it. And so many people would even avoid making their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, avoid ever going to where God was calling them because they were too scared of the hard thing that waited in front of them. And he says they walked through the valley of weeping and they make it into a place of springs. In other words, get into that valley and dig a little bit deeper and start finding things that will bring you life. Start finding something in the spirit. Keep your heart set on the pilgrimage. Know that you are following the one who has made you and you are going somewhere good if you are going where he is leading you. And while you're here in the valley of weeping, don't just survive it. Don't just get through it. Don't just close your eyes and, and just wander until you're out of it. Take a moment to stop to dig deep and to turn this place of weeping into a valley of springs. And then it says, if you do that, if you'll do some work, if you'll take inventory, if you'll ask God, what things that are life-giving do you want me to take out of this hard season? It says that he's going to get in the way as well. It says he's going to send the cool rain to create pools in that place. You bring some water up from below, and he's going to bring a lot more from above. When you get into these seasons, these valleys of weeping, these places we don't want to be, listen, I'm not saying that you should go out looking for it, that it's a good place to be. My heart breaks with you. When I'm in it, I want nothing more than to be out of it, but I need to make sure before I get out of it that I'm digging something out of it that's going to help me avoid the next one. And when I can do it, when I start to pull life giving truth out of this season. God sends his truth to cover from above. 
The psalmist David says in, in Psalm 139, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Make it your prayer this morning. If you're in these seasons of pain, search me, God. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. If there's anything in me that needs to be stripped away, help me to strip it away. I would encourage you, if you're in that season, to gain perspective this morning. What's interesting about this milling process of the grain is that you got to do it just right to open the husk and not destroy it. Because that husk, the very thing you are crushing, becomes the filter for the next phase of the brewing process. It defines the consistency of the beer. If you crush it too much, that bed is gone and the powder becomes a sponge soaking up the brew and making it unusable. The very thing that you're crushing becomes the filter for what you can become. This season is going to change you. You need to let it. You need to let this season change you. Sometimes you enter into it. What was normal for Joseph all of his life up until that moment would never be his normal again. Mourn the loss. Move forward into the new future. You've got to understand in perspective that there is another season coming. There is. Solomon, in, in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, the great wise king, says there is a time for everything. Life moves in seasons. And I know that when you're in that place, it seems like it's all there is, but it's not. No matter how bad, how tough, how difficult it may be, there will be another season. It will change. Keep reminding yourself and get through it. Gain some perspective in this season. Take a step back. Take inventory of what needs to change. And once you've done those things, because those things are hard to do, I want to tell you how to ease this season. I believe that God's given you a tool, a resource to get through this, to find strength that is not even inside of you. And it's this. You've got to worship in the crushing. You've got to worship in these seasons. That's the hardest thing to do. Here's, here's what our reaction is when we walk into a season like this where everything goes the wrong way. Our reaction is to pull away from, from people, to pull away from church, to drop out of our life group, to distance the relationships and to be mad at God. I need you to know that that reaction that all of us tend to have in these seasons, that wasn't in your creation. That is your enemy's greatest assault upon you. Those are lies. Because what you need in this season is the people of God surrounding you. You need his church. If you're in one of these seasons and you haven't signed up for a life group yet because you don't want to be around people right now, you need to get in that life group. You need these people. You need hope. And your community can speak hope into your heart. You need peace. And peace can be found in the comfort of friends. You need joy. And joy comes from the laughter of people who care about you, who love you. Listen, if you're hurting, let somebody hurt next to you. Let somebody hurt with you. If you're still processing a season of pain, let somebody process it with you. You need community right now. And you need to be in God's, you need to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I'm just telling you right now, you need it more than ever. 
You've never needed to raise a hallelujah with the people of God like you have in a season like this. Here's why. You were created to worship your king. You were created for it. I mean, you've got a purpose and you've got all of these dreams that God has for you and that's all real. And those are given to you by him. But the ultimate goal, the reason you exist is to worship the one who made you. And I can prove it. When you start to worship him, everything in your creation begins to align. It just feels right. And in a season when nothing feels right, you need something that does. You need something that just makes you feel like you're doing the right thing. And it's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's okay to be angry. Look at Psalm 22. You got to get all up in the Psalms when you're in a season like this, just so you know, because David felt it too. Look at Psalm 22. This is worship. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Can you hear me, God? Are you even there? Do you see me still? My God, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. I can't hear you, God. I can't sleep at night. Are you even there? But you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. And in you they trusted and were not put to shame. God, I know you're good. Nothing feels good right now. But I know you're good. I've seen the way that you've come through for me, God. I've seen it before. I've seen the way you've come through for others, God. I've read your word. I've seen the way you've come through for humanity over and over. I know you're good. And so I worship you anyways. I give you my worship in this season, God. I want you to strip away the things that don't belong there anymore, God. I want to get to the other side of this valley, Lord. I want to enter into another good thing. But while I'm here... I just worship you. And when you worship him, he just meets you in that place. He says, when you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. It says that his eyes are looking to and fro, searching for true worshipers. When you worship him in spirit and in truth, you will come alive inside. And where you think you are dying, you will find strength. And where you felt nothing but sadness, you will feel a peace that surpasses all understanding. And where the lies of the enemy kept overwhelming your ability to see, your father will begin to replace it with truth so that you can believe that he knows the plans he has for you. And their plans to prosper you and not to harm you, declares the Lord. And so I will move forward through this valley. I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to pull springs up out of the nothing that is in this place. In this place of death, there is going to be life because I'm going to worship my king with everything I've got. And I'm going to get on the other side of it. That's what we've got to do in a season like this. I promise you, he sees you. He's with you. He has good plans and dreams for you. 
lean into him as much as you can and worship him in the crushing. Worship him even though it feels like the world around you is caving. It only takes me a couple minutes. No matter how upset I am, how bad it feels for me, I mean, I, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. God, I look to you. Just worship. And it starts out, my problems are just really, really big and my God is really small. And just give it, give it five minutes, 10 minutes, give it 30 minutes. Just worship him. And you'll be reminded that your God is very big and these problems will pass. going to worship. Heavenly Father, I worship you in the crushing. I worship you in this season. I know you are good. And I know that your dreams are good. I know that your plans for us are good. We know you don't cause the pain, that you don't cause the hurt. And so God, teach us through it. Use it, Father, to refine us, to make us more like you, to get us closer to what you have for us, God. We worship you. God, we just, with every breath that we have, with the only strength we have left, we just use it to honor and glorify and worship you. You are good. One day you're going to heal it all. You you're, you're promised to us. You said that one day you will wipe away every tear, that you will, you will heal every broken heart. God, you're coming to make this world whole again. And in the meantime, God, we will just worship you like you already have. We will just worship you. Teach us, show us, grow us, refine us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.